It is a, the Bob Account Podcast with yours truly and uh, John Shannon. Available, of course, on uh, Sirius XM channel 167, as well as podcast form. Uh, some executives uh, today, a couple at the uh, very top of their sports and uh, another who um, pretty close to the top of his sport. Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the National Hockey League. Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner of the Canadian Football League. And George McPhee, the president of the uh, Vegas Golden Knights, the most successful expansion franchise in the history of sport. Period. And all, and all of them, uh, all of them, friends of the show, all love to come on and discuss what their issues are and uh, aren't afraid to pull any punches either. Well, let's hear what they had to say. Gary Bettman, Randy Ambrosi, George McPhee, this time on the best of the Bob McCowan podcast. Okay. And we are back. It's McCowan. It's uh, Shannon with the uh, commissioner of the National Hockey League. Gary Bettman is with us. You look beautiful, Mr. Bettman. How are you? Well, I'm not sure I ever look beautiful, but I'm doing fine. Thank you. Uh, this has been a challenging year plus for everybody, but uh, we're hanging in there. And I hope you and your listeners and viewers are doing well as well. By the way, Gary, uh, Bob and I are the only two guys that didn't get good term and good money yesterday. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was when you when you're sitting in your office and you're seeing all the emails come through and the central registry reports come through what what's going through your mind with all this money and all this term well two things one it's clear that uh our clubs are busy and that they're passionate and very competitive and care about winning and they want to do whatever they can to make their teams better and two it strikes me as being a little bit of a frenzy in a very short period of time and my guess is some caution is thrown to the wind uh, in an effort to get something done, but I respect the process. What I really look for is there's something dramatically different or out of the ordinary. And based on the fact that we're operating with basically a flat cap, we didn't see much of that. There, there was no new ground broken. And I didn't expect to see any because of the limitations that are in place. Just before Bob jumps in, you didn't view the Marc-Andre Fleury trade basically for cap space, the Brent Seabrook deal with Tampa, cap space as out of the ordinary? No, because we those are things we've seen over the last few years, particularly uh, in an era where we've got basically a flat cap. Mm -hmm. And so cap space uh, can become as valuable uh, a commodity as almost anything else like draft picks or even some players in a particular case. Look, while we're on the topic of cap space, and I don't want you to get mad at me or anything, but I would never get mad at you. Um, well, it's happened before, but well, that was a long—that was a long time ago. <laughs> well, uh, so um, it, it just—it is such a curious thing. I don't know whether you can acknowledge this, but you know these this owner these owners um, insisted on a cap, want a cap. They 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 felt they needed that protection level. And then they do everything they possibly can to circumvent all the rules and regulations around that cap. And it just raises the question for me, Mr. Bettman, well, just get rid of the damn cap is, oh, no. you know, self-control no, no. is all you need, you no, know, but, but there, but there in, in professional sports, uh, particularly in our sport where uh, teams owners are extraordinarily passionate and they all want to win and they all think that they're, ready to win the cup when only one team can do it. Uh, the fact of the matter is what we have uh, levels the ice, the playing field, so to speak, uh, gives all of our teams an opportunity to be competitive, which is great for our fans because no matter who you root for at the beginning of a season, with maybe a couple of exceptions, uh, you can believe your team has a chance our races in the regular season go down to the wire for the most part. And once the Stanley cup playoffs begin, almost anything can happen. And we've seen that a lot. So it, it's not just about uh, limiting uh, a lack of self-control to the contrary. It creates a framework that makes our game extraordinarily entertaining and competitive. Uh, and, and it probably the best competitive balance in all the sports. Well, how 
have, have, have you as a group with the owners discussed the notion of a, of a soft cap of a cap where with punishment for going over such it, as it, exists in baseball and, and the NBA? Yeah. Uh, it, those systems don't hold a lot of interest for us. There's still uh, systems that create disparities. Uh, and frankly, if you have a luxury tax or soft cap, what all it does is enables there to be a greater divide among teams that, that can afford the tax and teams that can't. What we have is basically a system that has, yes, a cap, but it also has revenue sharing. And I believe, uh, and I don't think there's much dispute about it, that our competitive balance is much better than either baseballs or basketballs. Gary, can you, uh, one of the issues that seemed to raise its head and you, you addressed uh, after the season with the competition committee was the level of officiating and, and I guess the buzzword this week was cross-checking, the, the cross-check issue. Where, where, where are we going to see that next year? The, uh, it's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. it, it officiating always gets uh, scrutinized fairly and unfairly, particularly during the playoffs. Our officials have a really difficult job in terms of recruitment, training, critiquing, coaching, and accountability. I think we're doing more uh, with Stephen Walkham in charge of the officials than ever before. Uh, but they are human, and there's a human element to our game, and mistakes do happen. Uh, but every now and then, to address your question about cross-checking, we see something in the game that it's a trend that we're not liking. For example, I guess it was two, three, four years ago, slashing. Mm -hmm. uh, the skills players uh, were, were getting slashed uh, much too much and much too hard when they were in possession of the puck, and it was resulting in, in plays going badly, uh, and more importantly, hands and fingers being broken. And so we cracked down on slashing, and when we do that, we typically put out a video for the players uh, and, and for the coaches and managers to make sure everybody, on, and the officials, obviously, to make sure everybody understands what the standard is. And with respect to cross-checking, there seems to be a little inconsistency and probably a little much, too much cross-checking, too physical cross-checking. Um, and that's something that we'll address for next season. Again, at the start of the season, we'll compile a video uh, so that everybody can be more comfortable with what the Titan standard would be. We went through the general managers and we unfortunately haven't had a meeting in person in a year and a half, but we had a general manager's meeting by Zoom a few weeks ago. And, and in advance, all of the managers were sent videos of 40 instances of cross-checking, penalty, no penalty. And on some, there was complete agreement. On some, there was complete disagreement. And on some, it was 50-50. And working with the managers and the officiating department, we think we can improve the standard and uh, and get a little more consistent in that area. Do you think there's a different standard for the regular season than the playoffs? And we tell the officials call the standard the way we've been calling it all season. Uh, and they're consistently instructed to do that. The, the, the nature of the game, the style of play, the fact that it's a series and there are adjustments, the fact that there's less time and space all impact what the game looks like. Uh, and, and I believe that the officials are doing their best to call the standard. But we have eyes and we can see this. And, and we, we've, had a, we've had a couple of discussions, um, if, if not arguments, uh, Shannon and I arguments. with others. Arguments. Over this very thing. And, yeah. and this is not new. No. Gary, this no. dates to well before you came. Uh, and you, you've been around for about 100 years now. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> and the fact that I know that is because I've been around longer than that. But, but it's ever been thus officials put their whistles away when it comes to the playoffs. They only call the obvious. Except, except they don't put their whistles away. The, the number of penalties being called isn't much different than the regular season. I don't have the stat in front of me, but within a, I believe within a, a penalty, a game in either direction, they're calling the same number of penalties. The physicality is greater. And right. I guess in terms of if, you know, we're trying to not have games decided by marching everybody to the penalty box. And they're trying to manage 
uh, how the game is called in a way that the game can get played and decided by the players on the ice. But going back to your point, I, I've seen letters that we have in our archives going back to the 30s and 40s where there have been the same complaints about officiating. I acknowledge. And, yeah. and, and, no, I agree. And it's something we, we continue to focus on and work on. Uh, but in the final analysis, it's not the officiating that's deciding these games. It's the players who are deciding it as, as it should be. The Tampa Bay Lightning didn't win back-to-back -back championships because of the officiating. All right, I'll I'll give you that. Um, um you. and we'll and I we'll, think I left you guys speechless for a well, second, which is well, a rare commodity. <laughs> no, no. The truth of the matter is, this is an argument and a discussion that could go on ad nauseum, <laughs> and and we don't have neither the time nor the inclination to 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 do that. It is what it is. Um, well, let's get to a couple of other things that are sure. going on. Uh, you um, released a preliminary schedule for next year. There is a window within that schedule that accommodates an appearance at the Olympic Games. Yes. Give us some kind of an update as to where you are in that process. Well, it, it, that's a great question. And if, if for those who haven't read the press release carefully, at the bottom, before you see the schedule, it says... This is based on the assumption that we're going to the Olympics because there are still open issues that need to be resolved. Uh, and that's what's being worked on. Most of those issues are focused on the players, uh, things like travel and insurance and, and the like. There is a concern about COVID. Uh, and my own view is we made a commitment in the extension of the collective bargaining agreement a year ago, that if everything would be worked out, uh, we would uh, take a break uh, so that the players could go to the Olympics. My own view, and I'm perfectly consistent on this, is I don't think it does us a whole lot of good to take a break in the middle of the season and lose the momentum that we have and have players risk injury but the players told us that this was important to them. And we said, if everything could be worked out, we would go. Uh, you know, in, in, an, in an environment where we don't know what COVID's going to be like, uh, where we've had the last two seasons uh, disrupted in one manner or another, the way we had to finish the 1920 season, uh, the fact that we had to play an abbreviated later season uh, for the recently concluded season, I think it's a mistake to go. But if everything can be worked out, uh, we'll go. If things can't be worked out in the not too distant future, uh, we do have a backup schedule, which moves everything back into the two weeks and puts us on a more time, uh, more normal time frame. We, uh, we're focusing on next season in terms of the schedule itself, whether it's the Olympic schedule or the non-Olympic schedule, we're gonna open in relatively middle, early October, and mm -hmm. we're planning a normal season, and that's our hope. I just think under all of the circumstances, it would be better for the league as a whole and the game uh, if we didn't go, but if it can all be worked out, we promised we would, and we'll adhere to that promise. Do you have a drop-dead date of deciding? Well, it, it, it's at some point. Uh, my drop-dead date was actually the end of last May. Right. Okay, and because it wasn't worked out and because we know how important it is to the players, we then made or had Steve Hatsopetros, who does our schedule, do the incredible task of trying to do two schedules. Uh, it's, it's coming up. We can't go on indefinitely uh, without knowing for certain whether or not we're going. Uh, it, it's really bad on every account you can imagine. Uh, including from, from a fan and business standpoint. As someone who has lived uh, those Olympics, some with you and some without you, um, uh, access is always a big issue that never seems to get resolved. Uh, has anything been resolved there and can it be resolved? Well, I'm hoping it can be resolved. You know, we, the world has changed since we first went to the Olympics in, in Nagano, which was, you know, well over 20 years ago. Uh, but in terms of having a network, both radio and, and linear, mm -hmm. in, in terms of social media, for us to disappear for two weeks in this day and age is, is really a lot to ask of us. Uh, and, you know, we're in discussions 
with the rights holders as well to, to see that we can be accommodated in using the fact that our players are playing on, in a best-on-best -best tournament because we've been willing to shut down for two weeks and, and, and allow the players to participate. Um, there hasn't been a, a lot of mutuality over the years in terms of what we're allowed to do in terms of what we're providing to the Olympics for their tournament. Uh, you know, on that topic, uh, your partners, the players, do they understand they don't, they shouldn't be going dark for two weeks or do they no, not I, view I, it that the, way? No, you know, Don Fear and I have a very good candid open relationship. In fact, when the phone rang a couple of minutes ago, I noticed it was him calling. Uh, they understand the issues. The union, I think, understands exactly how we feel and why. Uh, but, but the players very much uh, want to represent their countries. And that's something I respect. We, if, if it wasn't important to the players, we wouldn't be having this conversation because we would have made the decision long ago not to go. Frankly, we miss South Korea. And as, as, a, as a sport, as a league, we didn't miss a beat. And mm -hmm. I think we were better off for it. But at the end of the day, uh, we have a very diverse pool of players from all over the world. Uh, and it's important to them to represent their countries. And that's why we agreed if it can be worked out, uh, we will shut down for the required couple of weeks to let it happen. I'm intrigued by the process here. It seems to me that there are, well, it doesn't seem to me, it's clear there are issues that have to be resolved. There are differences of opinion. Um, is, there, is there an ongoing dialogue? Yes. Um, there is. Yeah, so yeah, it, 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 it's really a multi-party dialogue. For, for the most part, uh, other than the punchline, we and the Players Association are focused on the same issue, and we're very uh, supportive of the, of, the, of the goals that need to be achieved that the Players Association is working on. Uh, but it involves the International Olympic Committee. It involves the International Ice Hockey Federation. Um, and, you know, the, the IOC on a number of occasions has suggested that they don't want to pay any particular sport extra just to have its pros there. Whether or not they mean it, and that ultimately is the case, we'll see. But certainly it's a major expensive undertaking for the players to go to the Olympics, particularly halfway around the world. Uh, and that's certainly not a cost that we're inclined to bear because we're not so sure this is a good idea to begin with, to understate it. Well, what, what, what kind of cost are we talking about here? I mean, we're talking about tens of millions. Are we talking hundreds yeah. of millions? No, tens. Tens, tens of you millions. Have, of you have travel, you have insurance. Uh, there used to be an issue of, of accommodations uh, for players, guests, and families. So, but, you know, in, in the COVID era and watching what's going on at the Tokyo Olympics, mm -hmm. it's quite possible that there might not be spectators and, right. that, uh, and, and that visitors, you know, uh, family, friends, spectators won't be there, uh, which is maybe another reason that maybe this isn't the best platform for us to be exhibiting our games, particularly if the venues are empty. I have been through uh, the conclusion of one season and another season where we were partially without fans, uh, the game isn't uh, as, as energized uh, without fans in the building. Our game and our players are getting a tremendous amount of energy from the fans in the building. And you could see that during the playoffs because sure. in buildings that were partially full, you know, Montreal was a good example in the Stanley Cup final. 3,500 people, it sounded like the building was full. That's an essential part of our game. So is this, would you categorize this as a discussion or a negotiation? I'm, I'm really intrigued by where this is at and what the level of conversation actually is. It, 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 I'm not sure it's a negotiation or a discussion. It's somewhere in between. Everybody <laughs> knows what the issues are. And the question is how they get solved. Um, we're not, for example, this isn't, negotiation between us and the players association where we Clearly. say you give us this we'll yeah. give you that this is really about is the double ihf and the ioc are they prepared to do and make the arrangements that are necessary to make this a reality because first and foremost uh we want to make sure that that the players and our clubs aren't at risk there has to be a frustration gary because i i, I mean this is groundhog day 
This yeah. is the same conversation you had in Salt Lake City. Yeah, well, this is the same conversation we've had every time. Um, and again, uh, and I know I'm repeating myself, we know this is important to the players. Yeah. And that's why we go through this process repeatedly. And that's why we ultimately, after uh, missing South Korea, uh, not participating, we were prepared to go back because that's what the players wanted. Uh, you raised the vaccination issue, which is an intriguing one for all sports. Um, you can't mandate that your players get vaccinated, or can you? Well, the, you can in collective bargaining, uh, but again, this is one where we've worked very closely uh, with our medical experts and most importantly with the Players Association. Uh, our players as a group, pretty good. I think based on the most recent surveys, we're gonna be somewhere by September in the high 80 to 90% vaccinated. Uh, the league office, for example, I think we're somewhere between 92 and 94% vaccinated. Uh, I think for the most part, our players, our officials, uh, people who work at the league office and the clubs get it. Uh, and have gotten it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I, like all the people that have worked on this, particularly Bill Daly and his group in Winnemouissa, who's our chief medical officer, have focused on, on the medicine and the science. And I think if we're going to get through this pandemic, uh, being vaccinated is going to be important. And I know there are a lot of people throughout the world, particularly in the US and some in Canada that, that don't believe in vaccinations, but we're seeing another spike mm -hmm. and it appears from all the data that's out there and everything I'm reading and seeing that, that the spiking is happening largely among unvaccinated people. Uh, you know, this has been a tough year and a half for everybody. And the sooner we can all get through it, the, the more we can get back to normal lives. So based on that, how you, you talked about the energy that crowds bring the players and the game. How concerned are you that you won't be having full arenas by October? Well, based on, on the way we concluded the season and how we've been planning, uh, we, we think fans will be welcome back in our buildings. Having said that, and, and we've been very clear about this, what ultimately happens is not within our control. It's subject to to local jurisdictions and, and where the pandemic is uh, in particular places. Uh, our hope and expectation and planning has been business back to normal, the game back to normal. Uh, but obviously what happens over the next few months is gonna yeah. tell us a little bit more. And as we did for the conclusion of 1920 and for last season, uh, we will do whatever we need to do. We will be flexible. We'll be agile. We'll make sure we have complete optionality to do what's necessary and appropriate to first and foremost, keep our players or other personnel in the communities in which we play safe. Um, and we'll do the best we can using that as our starting point. Yeah, the border for you to come to Canada opens on the 9th of August. Yes. Do you, do, you, do you have a, an approximate date of the other way? No, I, you know, that, that's not something I have any control over. Uh, and, and frankly, in terms of the conference final uh, and the Stanley Cup final, the cooperation that we got from the Canadian government at the federal and provincial level was great. Uh, we, the, they were, wanted to be assured that our protocols uh, were being uh, properly set up and adhered to, uh, but we got great cooperation and without which, you know, we would have had to do something different, uh, but we were grateful. And, and in fact, yes, we were grateful, but we did everything we promised we would do, right. which is why we weren't the cause of any outbreaks, uh, which was as important to the government as it was to us. And we're back. It's McCowan. It's uh, Shannon. And we are joined by the president of the Vegas Golden Knights, George McPhee, who four years ago on uh, this day went through the process that the Seattle Kraken are about to go through. And I must say, Mr. McPhee, that um, you are now the king of, of uh, expansion draft preparation, the way you executed 
your options um, has become quite legendary and uh, a blueprint for the future. But I'm not sure that the Kraken are going to be able to follow suit because you kind of woke everybody up to what you can and can't do on this thing. Was this a plan as much or was this a series of circumstances that you managed to take advantage of? Well, I, you know, it was part of the blueprint. We had identified clubs that had uh, you know, protection stress. We identified clubs that had uh, cap stress. Um, and they're different, obviously. Um, and there are some clubs that had both. And we thought those were clubs that we should talk to. And, uh, and we did. And of the, the 10 clubs, I think we, we made nine basically uh, conditional deals. And the condition is you can't become a landing spot for anybody else now. You're out of this. You got what you needed. You got your protection. But you can't make another trade. Um, that sort of locked up the market. Before we got into, hey George, I'm sorry, George. Can you exp can you expand on that? I, I, I maybe I'm. So you basically you handcuffed these managers a little bit by doing the deal with them. Well, no, they they got the deal that was good for them. Right. We, a, we did a deal. Uh, we thought we were reasonable in doing the deals that we were doing. We weren't overreaching. And then when we had what we thought would be a deal, we said, "This is now." a conditional deal, uh, okay. you can't do anything else. Um, you can't, you know, it's, it's not right if you do a deal with us and, and then you make another trade and bring a guy in to your club that we may have had interest with from another club, interest in from another club. Mm -hmm. so, so we didn't want that to happen and we got in the way of that. And as I said before, we thought there'd be this mass redistribution of players before we got to expansion, didn't happen. It didn't happen. We were waiting for it to happen, but it, effectively, what we had done was it locked up the market. And there were sorry, <laughs> the guys couldn't tell other people as well. They couldn't tell right. other people. Yeah, so. So, 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 so effectively, that's what happened to a lesser degree uh, last Saturday and earlier in the week. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. That makes sense. That's a good idea. You, you, where, yeah, you, so how long did how long did it take you to come up with that one? Well, it actually, uh, it, it happened uh, um, when we were talking to one club and, uh, and then sort of the first club that we were talking to and Kelly and I were uh, talking to that, that GM at that time. And uh, you know, Kelly had mentioned, you know, this shouldn't become a, you know, you can't do anything else now, now that we have our deal. And then we right. said, no, we're gonna do this with everybody henceforth and uh and so that's how we started but we were uh, uh, you know as an organization we were extraordinarily uh, well prepared uh we we really worked at it and what was what was really amazing about the whole process it, it's an exhilarating process it's a unique experience for managers in this league and and in this life i guess to do something like this but we did all this work. We had an expansion draft. We had an injury draft. We came back to Vegas. And two days later, we had our development camp. We had players on this. There are at least three names that jump out at me that were a function of what you're talking about. They were deals that were done prior to your actual drafting procedure who turned out to be integral players in your organization. Um, Shea Theodore, Alex Tuck, William Carlson are the three that come up. Um, I'm going to come back to Flurry in a minute, but maybe go through the, the process with each of those guys as you recollect it. Start with Theodore, who has become, you know, and in, you know, one, of the, one of the top defensemen in the National Hockey League, but was really not much more than a prospect at the time you got him. Yeah. Well, I remember, uh, in, just so you guys know, when we started this, I, um, we split the teams up, 15 to Kelly, and I took 15. Okay. Uh, because I just didn't think one guy could do it all effectively. And, uh, and so, um, 
So that's what we did. And I had Anaheim and I talked to Bobby Murray and um, uh, he uh, would make Theodore available if we would take Stoner's contract because he had one year left and I think he was at three and a half million. He had been injured a lot, probably couldn't play. And that gets in the way of what you can do in a summer. Right. During the year, if the player is on LTI, you can replace the salary. But in the summer, it gets in the way. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and in fairness to Bobby, they they had a, a, a good defense at the time, a deep defense. And he could afford um, to move this guy at that time. Um, and so that's how that one went. Um, Alex Tuck, again, that was... Um, I think Kelly was talking to, I think it was Kelly that had that club, but Chuck was really good. He negotiated well in that situation. And Chuck was in a jam because he had a lot of good players. Yeah. And you're going to lose somebody. And, uh, and didn't want to lose a couple of the defensemen we were asking for. And so, um, and he just happened to mention in the conversation, he was going to, he was trading hollow to somebody for a third round pick. And we, and I think Kelly said, well, we'd have interest in that guy. We would do that. And I think Chuck said, well, if I do that with you, you know, do you take Tuck instead of a couple of the defensemen you're talking about? And said, yeah, we could do that. And that's how that one came about. Uh, and then Carlson, William Carlson, um, they were having trouble with the Clarkson contract. Right. It was getting in the way and asked if we could take him. I think we, had, I think there were three years left on that. And so that's a big number to take. Um, and so he said, um, we talked about picks and I, I believe we got a first round pick to take the Clarkson contract. And uh, there might've been a second involved in there to take Carlson. Hmm. So when, and, and this, those types of deals, would that have, would that have happened from the time the the protected list came out or had you had been how long had you been talking to people over the, over that period of time uh the uh the columbus deal happened during the expansion window the the minnesota deal i think happened a few days before we got to expansion and again, that was one of those conditional deals. It's not, right. it's not a deal we can take to central registry because we don't know if it's happening because if you, if you make a trade between now and then it's off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, who was he? Uh, and, 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 and the yeah. one with Bob Murray. And I think Bobby was a, a, a few days leading up to expansion as well. It didn't happen in the window. Because the flurry deal was a lot it was well before anything wasn't it yeah we had talked about it um around the trade deadline because jimmy was trying to do some things and you know there was you know an understanding that we could go this way but again it was it was conditional because mm -hmm. if you did anything uh without talking to us then that deal was off yeah <laughs> so I wonder what you perceived as the most valuable asset in the process. Cap space is a consideration. Yeah. Uh, terms of contracts, length of term in contracts is a big consideration. Did, was there one thing that specifically you valued more than anything else? Well, in terms of trying to find players, we're trying to get the best players we could and, in, you know, everything's related to everything else. And if of you course. change any of the variables, the whole equation changes. So, um, you know, we were trying to find good players and high character people and, you know, cause it's always, you know, what's inside the Jersey is what really matters. Um, I remember one of the takeaways, you know, we met with Bob Clark and we met with Doug Reisbrow to talk about their expansion experiences. And Raj Brow said, don't be afraid to look for the unknown surprises. Hmm. You know, that's a William Carlson. That's an right. Alex Tuck. That's a Shane Theodore. Yeah. That's a Braden McNabb. Um, you don't have to go for the big names. 
they'll be they'll be out there. But um, you know, the unknown surprises. Um, and you know, and then the other thing he said, you don't get sentimental about your players. You know, make the moves you have to make each summer to keep making your team better. Of course, we tried to do that. Huh? Um, and then uh, Bob Clark said, you know, what you've got to try to do is make your make Vegas a special place to play for your players. Hmm. And I think Vegas would be a special place to play anyway because it's it's unique and right. lots of neat things about it. But ownership has allowed us to to really run a first class operation here. And whatever we need, we get in terms, you know, infrastructure stuff or if we want to go after a certain player. He's yeah. uh, never said no. So, um, with the depth of the pool of players, did you prioritize defense over forwards, or what did yeah. you what what did you think was most important to deal with first? We thought that. Uh, um, defensemen would be more valuable than forwards. So when we added the extras, you have to take so many in each category. We uh, we took more defensemen and we trade and we had, we picked up four extra defensemen and we traded them, them all for picks. Right. The expansion draft. And, and, and so the, the one that jumps to mind is you, you took Mark Mathot from Ottawa mm-hmm. um, and moved him to Dallas very quickly, very quickly. Yes. How how long would that trade have taken to procure? Would would you have said we're going to once once the list? Could you have phoned somebody in Dallas? I I, I guess Jimmy was there by then. Could you phone Jim Nill and say, Hey Jimmy, I'm, we're going to take Mark Mathot. Are you interested? Uh, we started making those calls uh, right after, or we had guys calling us. I can't remember if I called Jimmy or he called me. Okay. But that one was you have to do them quick because you're now sort of getting into free agency. And once the market, we all know that once the market dries up, it dries up and you are not going to be able to move something. And so we moved on. Those things happen. It feels like in, in, in 24 hours or less. 24 hours after the draft. Within it, probably. And within, uh, yeah. Um, you know what, actually we may have, uh, I can't recall, but I, I think we did it when we got back from, uh, the uh, entry draft, right? We did it just as we were heading into free agency, yeah. hmm. and and it and it and it really did dry up quick. I remember when I was down to the last defenseman. I was talking to David Poyle and didn't really have the money, but needed a guy, and we picked up a little bit of money to make it happen. But we got a draft pick. But yeah. that, yeah, that's how that worked. I'm just if curious. You, go go ahead, ahead, Bob. No, go ahead, Bob. If you if you go back to the first ever expansion draft, which was what John 1967. And the team that came out now, of course, that was all different. The six expansion teams all played in the same division. They essentially played against each other. And the St. Louis Blues emerged from that and then got run over in the Stanley Cup final. But who was their goaltender? It was Glenn Hall, right? 39, 36 years old, I think. 36. Yeah, but a guy who was going to the Hall of Fame, who'd played 501 or two consecutive games, um, and could still clearly could still play. It raises the question of the value of a goaltender, especially in this process. We all know you don't win unless your goaltending is good at any time. And you did flurry. Well, that was essentially the first deal you did, wasn't it? Pretty much. Yeah. So it raises the question, what's the value there? And is it advisable to perhaps overspend um, on a goaltender <laughs> if one is available. That's a, that's a rather cryptic question, Bob. <laughs> well, yeah, not hard to tell where you're going with that one. Well, but Flurry, what, what, what was Flurry's salary when you got him? Five and a quarter, I think. You know, and at that point for a goaltender, that was up there, correct? Uh, I think it was... I Top five? Was, mm, no, I don't think so. I no? Think was, I think Middle was, of the road. Yeah, pretty reasonable. So but, economically, it, you weren't impacted by the dollars no. involved. No, we had lots of room. Yeah. Well, there as okay, you guys know where I was going with this sort of, and and that is there is a ten and a half million dollar salary available for a goaltender with five years left on it, and the issue and the question becomes, is Seattle going to bite on that? You know, 
and I and I have no idea, but I, I do know that when we were going through the process, um, it was it was hard to find goalies, and we were trying to trying to get some young goalies, but because first and second year players are exempt, it was hard to find younger goalies that you could get to the minors without having to go through waivers. Waivers, right? What's what's there's no point in in uh, uh, claiming a guy in expansion and then losing him in, on waivers, unless unless it was a throwaway pick, but that's not what we were trying to do with the goalies. So we, we had to make sure uh, that we could get the best goalie we could. And, uh, it, you know, you don't know what – you're trying to put the best team you can on the ice. Of course. But if you're, if you're not getting goaltending and you're losing games, it's one thing to lose a game 2-1 or 3-2. It's another to lose six two, mm-hmm. and we were, you know, we thought we're gonna we're gonna put a team on the ice. We, we hope it's good, but if we're trying to develop this team and everything else, and develop young players that we have, we can't be losing six two every night. If we're in the game and they're working all night long, and you know, then you know, you can go somewhere with that. But if you're getting blown out every night and you don't have a chance, yeah. it's it's gonna be a short season and. And so we tried to get the best goalie we could. And uh, with the new league rules and everything else, uh, you know, you want the, you want this expansion to work in this market. Right. We didn't know, like we were selling a lot of tickets, which was unbelievable what we were selling before we, you know, had that great first year. We were, we were selling a lot of tickets, but you don't know how quickly that's going to dwindle. And we didn't know initially whether we'd have 4,000 or 5,000 people at games. Um, so we wanted to put a good team on the ice to make sure it worked in this market, to give a team a chance to take hold and grow roots and grow them deep and be a good friendship. Well, um, often around this time of year, actually a little earlier than this time of year, uh, we get together with you or one of your predecessors and say, welcome back. Um, it's been a little longer this time. Uh, when's the last time you guys played a football game? Well, I guess, uh, great cup 2019 in Calgary. It was wow. a good game. Um, yeah, it's been a while. Nice to, uh, nice to be, you know, heading back to the field tonight. Uh, should be a great game, you know, Winnipeg against Hamilton, the great cup rematch. So yeah, it's, um, it's long overdue. Randy, since the last time you were on, um, we, we, you were still trying to get government funding. Um, how, ha- how has the last 14 months gone in trying to restructure this league to make sure that you could be safe and entertaining at the same time uh, for this 14 game schedule? Well, you know, there's a, there's a lot of complexity, but uh, John, to be honest about, uh, you know, all the things that we've been working on, on a, you know, on the business side of the league, we've um, you know, we haven't had success, uh, you know, in our governor government conversations, uh, but you know what? You can't uh, you can't stop your feet and uh, and and call it a day. So you know we took it on ourselves. We've basically restructured a lot. Uh, we've uh, you know we've really streamlined a lot of things around the league. So that was really positive. But uh, while all of that was going on, you know, to really set ourselves up for the future, you know, we had to look at uh, you know how would we have a 2021 season? And of course, a million questions. Most of them, you know, in the moment, going back months ago, were very difficult to answer. But we, uh, but we found a way, you know, nine teams very committed to playing this season. And uh, we had a great, uh, we had a great uh, health and safety committee. We've got two new, one of, uh, you know, one of the really excited changes at the league is we now have two um, co um, uh, health officers in the form of uh, uh, Dr. Bob uh, McCormick from Vancouver and, uh, and Dr. Nadu from Edmonton. That's really helped us. Uh, Look, it's just been a lot of hard work from a lot of really great people that led to uh, getting us back on the field. Uh, one of the financial issues would be sponsorship. Uh, how have you made out with um, bringing your sponsors back? Um, what kind of percentages are you looking at? Well, uh, Bob, I don't have uh, exact percentages to quote, but what I can tell you is our sponsors have been amazing. We've gotten so much support from uh, from that community, frankly, from our season ticket and our and our fan base. 
to really help uh, see us through. So we've we've done incredibly well in getting our sponsorship renewals. The as I say, you know, from from all nine teams, we've just saw an amazingly positive reaction uh, from all of our you know from all of our key stakeholders to support us. And uh, you know, we thank them. And now we're looking forward to putting a, an entertaining 21 season on the table, and then uh, you know, build from here. How would they? How will they? You, you, you talked about your health and safety, Randy. How, how would the, the consumer notice it? Or is it a good thing that they won't notice it? Well, I don't think to the, to the fan they'll see all that much of it. I mean, look, basically what happens is we have a, what we call our tier one group. And they're subject to a lot of stringent uh, restrictions around, you know, the way they, the way they interact with the, you know, with the marketplace, really. Um, and and we did that in consultation with uh, public health officials, so that we that the the more you can isolate that group, and insulate them from you know from the broader market, the the greater likelihood you have of not introducing the COVID uh, you know virus into you know into our football ecosystem. So you know I think the average fan won't see a lot of change. Uh, you know from you know. Uh, myself, for example, you know, I would I would have been down on the field tonight, saying, you know, wishing everyone well. I would have, I would have uh, wished our officials well. As they that none of that will happen because we, you know, we got to basically stay away from them and let them, you know, let them play football tonight, and and that'll be the way it'll be for most of the season. What is what was the challenge of dealing with? I think six different public health authorities. Well, you know, really, John, the credit goes to uh, our health and safety committee, you know, two two people who I would uh, think I you know, would want to shout out in addition to our, you know, to our chief medical officers, uh, Greg Dick, who runs our football operations group and Wade Miller, the president of the Bombers just did an amazing job of collaborating with all six jurisdictions. There was a, a tremendous uh, there was a tremendous willingness to collaborate. We got a lot of support from the public health community. I actually had a chance to visit with Dr. Bonnie Henry last night, and you know we were just talking about how the medical, the, the you know the medical community, the um, the public health officials really did rise to the challenge of working with us and helping us. So you know in that way we're um, you know we're we're very thankful. What percentage of your players? coaches um will go into this season unvaccinated well it's uh we we put out a report uh bob a couple of days ago there you know it, it ranges there's a fair there's some teams are well through the 85 percent threshold and others less so you know we put in place a policy uh for canceled games that really is trying to create an incentive for everyone to want to be vaccinated to the greatest extent possible the 85% is important because it's the threshold that public health and our medical community feel is the point at which you really have significantly reduced your exposure to the, you know, to the COVID, uh, to the COVID um, crisis. And uh, we simply want to keep it at a locker room. So we've got some work to do. We're, we've got several teams that are below the 85% threshold. And we're going to continue to work with them day in and day out to see if we can't convince uh, as many people to get vaccinated so we can keep our locker room safe. There are some people that wouldn't be familiar with what, what you have decided about uh, cancellations and postponements. Can you explain it? Yeah, this, you know, essentially it, it is uh, it is designed to really incent the teams to want to get uh, as many of their tier one personnel vaccinated. Essentially, what we said is that, uh, you know, in the event that a game has to get canceled and, and our priority would be to reschedule if we had a if we had a COVID outbreak in a locker room, we would we would choose to a try to reschedule but rescheduling in football is very difficult. Mm -hmm. If we don't, uh, if we're not successful in rescheduling a team that is uh, if a team is is uh, the, the team that has the problem in their locker room. Uh, would be would be handed a loss, and um, and the team who were affected by that cancellation would get a one nothing win. And again, the idea is simple: let's uh, let's in, let's try to encourage everybody to help get us through the season without a COVID outbreak. One of the things we did in terms of player compensation is we've said if uh, if a locker room if a if a locker room of players is is more than eighty five percent vaccinated and we have to cancel a game the players will get paid. 
And if they're if we're below that 85% threshold, then they won't. And again, it was designed to really to really you know to light a fire and really hope to get everybody engaged in you know wanting to get their vaccinations because we know from everything all of the, the you know John you're seeing it that Bob you're seeing it we know that getting vaccinated is a way to keep that Delta mm -hmm. uh, variant out of um, you know out of the locker rooms. Uh, I admire your the initiatives that you've taken. Um, but here's a question I have not, I don't think asked anybody yet. Uh, let me put it in this context. If, if I were Randy Ambrosia, the first thing I'd, I'd consider doing is saying, if you're not vaccinated, you don't play. And, and yet I do understand that this is a personal decision and I'm not even sure legally whether you can mandate anybody to get a vaccination. Did you go down that road at all, Randy? Well, you know, Bob, it's a good question. And, you know, look, we, to be honest, we explored everything. You know, we, we looked at the entire realm of, uh, of possibilities for how we would keep our locker rooms safe and our players safe and our teams on the field. And, you know, we had consultations with, uh, with legal experts, you know, on all manner of solutions. The one we came up with, uh, we, we felt good about because again, what we wanted to do was really provide an incentive. You know, really rather than being punishing anyone, we wanted to provide an incentive-based, uh, take an incentive-based approach. But Bob, we, we literally had consultations with some of the brightest, you know, legal minds in the country, experts in this space. And I think we came up with the right answer for the Canadian Football League. And of course, you know, this is a complicated issue and it's one that the entire, you know, the entire country is facing as we, as we go forward. So there you go. Some of the best of uh, the Bob McCown podcast from the past 12 months as uh, we take a little vacation here, much well, to I the chagrin of the audience, I'm sure. Well, no, no, not much of a vacation uh, when you think of what's going on in the world, Bob. Still, uh, but you know what? It's a good time to spend your family. Good time to uh, have some some quiet time, enjoy some eggnog and some festive spirit. Uh, happy holidays to y'all from John and I, and uh, we'll see you in the first week of January. Goodbye, everybody.